We have begun the third week of Lent. We began it with that great story of Jesus meeting with the Samaritan woman at the well, yesterday's gospel. It's important to note that that gospel is so important that the church says if it's not read on Sunday, it can be read on any of the weekdays of the third week. Because other years we don't have that for the Sunday gospel, but it's, it's uh, considered a third week story, the, the encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, because it's a story of the, the journey from a sinful condition to a, a healed condition to a, a, mission, a missionary condition. Remember, the woman at the end goes into the town and tells everybody that she has found the Messiah. It's a story of, of moving from trying to satisfy our natural desires, our thirsts, to discovering the, the deeper thirst, which is thirst for God, desire for God, and discovering that that thirst is satisfied by Jesus Christ and the gift he gives, the living water. Perhaps the psalm of today's Mass is deliberately chosen to remind us of yesterday, the response we said again and again, a thirst is my soul for God, the living God. When shall I go and behold the face of God? It uses the word thirst, but it's obviously not talking about a physical thirst because it's thirst of the soul, not of the body. Thirst of the soul for God, the living God, remember the living water, the living God. And then the question is, when shall I go and behold the face of God? The psalmist realizes that to satisfy that thirst of the soul, you have to see God, which is, you could say also, drinking in God, receiving the life of God. So that's part of this whole week. Now, when we look to today's readings, we encounter the, especially the story of the Syrian leper, Naaman. I know his name is pronounced in different ways. <laughs> I even looked it up. It, it's uh, in the Old Testament, Naaman. In the New Testament, Naaman. Because it's Naaman, I mean, the New Testament's in Greek. Naaman. No one ever says it that way. And then the Old Testament, Naaman. Anyway, we call him Naaman. He's a, a powerful man. He's a general, a commander of the, of the successful armies of the Arameans. He's a rich man, and he's a leper. So this is the case. He's a foreigner, not a Jew. Perhaps that's why his condition of leprosy doesn't exclude him from society the way the Jews would exclude lepers. Remember, if, if, if he were a Jew, there's no way he could be leading an army and, and going to talk to the king and you know traveling around. He would have to be isolated, or quarantined. I don't know. It's also probable that he didn't have what, what we consider leprosy. He probably didn't have the condition that is that crippling degenerative condition. He probably just had a skin condition, maybe eczema or or uh, psoriasis, psoriasis is how it's pronounced here. 
but it, it, but it may be an ugly, maybe itchy, maybe painful skin condition. Whatever it was, it was a, a, a cross, an incurable condition. Jesus, in his reprimand to the people of his own town, Nazareth, uses this example of Naaman as a sign of how God works. God didn't cleanse in the, day, in the days of Elisha. He didn't cleanse all the lepers of Israel. He cleansed this foreigner, Naaman the Syrian. Let's reflect a little bit about this because there's, there's a, a lot of wisdom to these readings if you can kind of dig into them a little bit. One of the striking things is that there's, there, there are two levels going on, even on the human, on the human perspective. And of course, there's always divine and human. That's in every reading. But there's also two human levels here. At Naaman is at the upper, upper class, powerful, rich. He's got, a, he's got the ear of the king. And there's the king of Aram, who writes the official letter, document, you know, sending it. He writes to the king of Israel. And at this level, there, where, where people are used to having power and influence, they think that the way to do it is have a stronger army, have more money, have more official documents, and, and make declarations and make things happen. Human power at its best. But when it comes to healing leprosy, they can't do anything about it. The, the Naaman can't do anything about it. The king of Aram can't do anything about it. Money can't do anything about it. The king of Israel obviously can't do anything about it. In fact, he immediately assumes that this letter is just a pretext for starting a war. <laughs> That's the way people in power think. Suspicion, uh, you know, uh, uh, competition. So, so that's one level going on. Then at the, at the hidden level, the lower level, there's the slave girl captured in a raid, no name, just a little girl, who knows that there is a prophet in, in, in uh, Israel and in Samaria, with simple faith, says, well, you know, you don't, don't, don't try to buy a healing. You go to the prophet. You go to, go to God. It's so obvious. You just go to the prophet. He'll cure him. Like, it's, that, it's that level of simple uh, trust that God has power over these things. And she does. She's not afraid to, to say. She doesn't say it the name of the record. She says it to his wife because that's her boss. Oh, well, if, if he would just go to the prophet, he would cure him. <laughs> it's so simple. Okay, so that becomes the trigger for uh, the, the, the moving of the wheels of power. He decides to go. Gets the money. Now look at how much money. Ten festal garments, 6,000 gold pieces. I'm sorry, ten festal silver talents. Remember, talent was a huge amount of money. 6,000 gold pieces, ten festal garments. So huge, a huge uh, what do you call it, a bribe? <laughs> a bribe, a payment? Uh, you want the best doctors, you pay the most money, right? So if you pay more money, you get a better healing, right? Better treatments, state of the art. That's what he's thinking, obviously. I'm going to give him more money, I'll get a better healing. He gets to the 
the door of Elisha's house, and Elisha doesn't even come out and meet him. He doesn't even pay him the normal respect that you would give to a visiting dignitary. He doesn't go through any of the rituals that Naaman is expecting, you know, incantations and gestures and calling, on, calling upon God. Uh, Naaman sends out a messenger, probably one of his servants. You see the, the lower level, but where things really happen? Little anonymous figures who just do the will of God and let God take, take care of the rest. So uh, Naaman gets all bent out of shape because he's not healed and he's told to dip in the waters of the Jordan seven times, which is like an insult. He's got better rivers in Syria, in Damascus, than, than these Jews have. <laughs> you see his prejudice, his pride, his anger, and he's about to give up on this stupid project and bring his money back home. Who inter intervenes? The servants again. Servants, the humble people, the, the, the simple faith-filled people. And they say, well, if you, if you had told you to do something difficult, you would do it. Why don't you do it? Just do it. <laughs> That's the response of faith, by the way. Obey God. You don't have to figure it out or, or be in charge of it. Submit to God. We're not the ones with the power here. And it's the poor who know this. The rich people don't know it. They think they have power. No, we don't have power. <laughs> we're the servants. We're all at this, in reality, we're all at this lower level. Well, Naaman, to his credit, listens to his own servants. He gets over the obstacle of his pride and anger, which is a very difficult thing to do, by the way, you know, <laughs> once, once, the passions rise up. It's very hard to put them down, but he does it. So that's a good Lenten instruction for us. You can't stop passions from rising up. You get angry, you get angry. But it doesn't mean you have to let the anger run your life. You can put it back down, put it in its place. That's, that's, what, that's part of the spiritual life, part of Lent. So he goes, he humbly submits to the stupid instruction <laughs> you know seven times why is seven times better than one time it's just a, it's just the jordan after all he does it and it works his flesh became again like the flesh of a little child again a little clue here little child little girl little servant little nobody that's what it means to be healed he's his his interior healing meaning his Humility, his, his submission, leads to his physical healing. There's even a parallel to that a story of Jesus healing the paralytic, remember? The first thing he says to the paralytic is, your sins are forgiven, spiritual healing, which is much more important, and then he heals the paralysis. Well, this is the case in Naaman. Naaman, even while he's still a leper, is actually spiritually healed to submit himself to the God of Israel who he doesn't even know. And then that leads to his physical healing. Then he makes his great declaration. He goes back to Elisha's house, and Elisha comes out this time. <laughs> kind of funny, isn't it? He comes out this time because now the man is 
ready to accept. And he says, he stands before Elisha and says, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. You know the story, he, 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 he digs up a bunch of dirt and brings the dirt back home because that, that he has a little piece of Israel back in Syria so he can worship the God of Israel. The idea that God has to be confined to a place still a limitation. But the beauty of the man is, I'm going, now that I know I met the God of Israel, now I'm going to remain faithful to him. Okay, so what we're, what we're I said these, these two levels. What's clear is the levels of power, worldly power, are not really where things happen, and not really what makes the difference in individual lives or in, in the uh, world situations. Sure, it's important that when we pray for presidents and prime ministers and kings, we pray for people in power because they do have a big responsibility. But that prayer has much greater effect than the seemingly big, you know, official documents. I think the, this reflection can also help us understand something that we heard yesterday in the story of the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan's initial idea is that Getting water from the well is what will satisfy her, and that having another man is what will satisfy her. You know, her thirsts were not just for water. But by the end of her conversation with Jesus, she realizes she doesn't need water. She doesn't even need her water jar. She has found something more deeply satisfying, something that was not at all what she would have thought of as being important. Because remember, when she met Jesus, he didn't come in power and glory and say, I'm the Messiah and you're a sinner. He came and said, he came as a weary traveler taking a break at the well in the middle of the day and asking her for a drink. See how Jesus, who is all-powerful and has more than enough money, and he, he lowers himself to this lower level in order to in order to encounter us, in order to make himself accessible to us. Because if he starts out saying, I'm the Messiah and you're a sinner, well, we, we back off. Or we get defensive. Or we get afraid. It doesn't work. God humbles himself. Give me a drink. Give me a drink. This is God in the flesh. <laughs> Why does he have to ask us for anything? Because he wants something from us that he can't force us. He wants our free response, our faith, our submission, our love. We realized yesterday that what's really important is this living water, this hidden uh, spiritual reality which, is, which goes unseen in the halls of power. Another clue from yesterday's gospel, just to continue this way of pondering, remember when the apostles come back from town, they went into town to buy some food, they left Jesus there, maybe they thought he was too tired to go with them, I don't know, 
But anyway, he's sitting there by himself. They went into town to buy the food. They come back with the food, and they say, Rabbi, eat something. And he says something like, I, I have food that you don't know about. I can't remember how he, how he says it. Maybe I should look it up. This is the divine word. I have food to eat of which you do not know. Now, they're still thinking about food, because that's the, the apostles, you know, they always talk about bread and food. So they, st- they say, well, hmm, could someone have brought him something to eat? <laughs> Maybe they saw the woman walking away. Maybe they thought the woman gave him something to eat. And then he explains, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. My food is, is not what you're thinking. Just like the water is not what you're thinking. Food, is so, food and water, yes, are important. But that's not what really that the soul is really thirsting for or hungering for. We're hungering for God. And God provides for us in abundance if we are willing to submit to his way. We're willing to let go of our water jar or let go of our money or let go of our power or let go of our pride and do it his way. Then we can experience the living water, we can experience the the food that the world doesn't know, and we can experience the joy, the overflowing joy of, of, of healing and of being satisfied.